Jason. But we have, I believe, Scott back on the line. Scott, do we got you? Yeah, you there? Excellent. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, uh, for dialing back in. Uh, so, sorry, we've been uh, talking about our perspective on what the Padres got back and Eric Johnson and Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, but you probably know more than us at this point. So uh, let's go back to where we left off. Eric Johnson, what can we expect? Well, it's hard to say that, you know, he, he wasn't considered one of the Sox elite prospects now, but it was just a couple years ago where he was ranked one of their top two or three. And actually, he broke, you know, camp in 2004 as probably the number two or three starter in the rotation and just had a really bad season in 14. Couldn't find the strike zone, got messed up mechanically. I think got to him a little bit, you know, pressure-wise. And to his credit, fought back last year, pitched great, was the International League Pitcher of the Year, made his presence felt at the end of the year with the White Sox. And I just think, you know, he has the ability and the makeup to be a good starting pitcher, especially in the National League. I just don't think it was going to happen at this point with the White Sox. What's uh, His fastball over the last couple of years has really been erratic. That It used to be 92, 93, and now it's dropped off and it's filled up a little bit. Uh, we know he's got a slider and a curve. What's with his fastball? You know, it's interesting. People, we thought he might have been hurt in 14 because the velocity was down and he was having a terrible time locating it, but... It was just mechanics. Mechanics got messed up, and I think there probably was a little bit of crisis of confidence in that year, too, because here's a guy who had been successful wherever he had gone and had risen up the ranks to break camp as part of the rotation and just had, you know, an awful run of it. But like I said, he kind of rebuilt himself last year. You know, his fastball didn't have probably quite the movement this year in the couple starts that we saw him with the White Sox, but I, I think he still got the capabilities to be a solid kind of middle of the rotation guy for the Padres. Scott, we don't see 17-year-olds traded all that often. Uh, what, did, what did the White Sox see in this guy? I know they gave up 700000 bucks in the international market to get him as an amateur free agent. What did they see in this guy, and why did the Padres uh, go after him, and why did the White Sox let him go? It could be such an intriguing guy. Well, here's the thing, as you guys probably know, with international league, internet, not international, I'm sorry, international signings, is that it's a little unfair to them because there's this huge money tag that's put with them. You know, what was it, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand for Tatis? And they're really not going to be ready for four or five years. You know, you're talking 17, 16-year-olds in some cases. So, you know, they, they like his ability. I heard good things about him from, you know, Arizona Extended Spring down there. But the bottom line is I think the Sox are willing to move him because of the fact they have a guy like Tim Anderson who's much further along and getting close to being major league ready. And, you know, while Tatis has got a ton of talent, you're just not sure what you're going to get in those kind of prospects. You hope that they turn out and are – you know, worth the time you put in, and, and he very well may be, he may be an all-star for years to come, but it's just, there's such raw talent right now, you can part with it and take a chance. All right, uh, we're with Scott Merkin, the MLB.com beat writer for the Chicago White Sox, uh, getting that side of the deal's perspective uh, in the James Shields trade. Uh, Scott, we've been talking yesterday and today about whether the Padres could have gotten more, gotten less, if this was a good, fair deal. From the White Sox perspective, do you think they're seeing this as they got the better of the deal, that maybe they had to concede a little bit, or that it was pretty fair for both sides, especially when you start thinking about the money that's involved? Yeah, you know, I know in covering Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams for a, a lot of years that these guys aren't looking to go out and fleece anyone because, you know, they like to make moves. They like to make a lot of deals. And if you, if, if you get a, you know, a bad deal on the way, that kind of rules out maybe an option for future deals. I, I think both sides got what they wanted. I, I know I had heard that San Diego probably asked for some higher prospects at the beginning, but the Sox are in that weird combination of rebuilding while trying to contend. So they, they weren't going to give up Tim Anderson. They weren't going to give up Carson Fulmer. They weren't going to give up Spencer Adams who are their top three prospects. And, you know, the Sox got some monetary relief, which helped, and they got a guy who's going to be a solid middle-of-the-order starter for what they hope is a contending team all year, a guy who is, you know, nine straight seasons, done at least 200 innings, 30 starts, and double-digit wins. And 
you know, they sat on the conference call yesterday, Rick Hahn talked about not needing him to be the ace of the staff, just needing him to kind of fit in and just help take some pressure off the bullpen and the rest of the rotation. He will give you innings. There's no question about that. I mean, this is somebody, in the, Shields is somebody in the middle of the rotation that will give you 200 innings, and not a lot of teams have that. Yeah, I, I think people are paying for that now. I mean, you saw a great example in Mark Burley. You know, Mark Burley, by the time he was, we think, done last year, was throwing, what, 82, 83 miles an hour, but he could locate, he knew how to pitch, he worked with rhythm, you know, and he, and he got guys out. And people are paying for that. That It makes sense because you need those kind of pitchers too. Yeah, I mean, he's not the guy that he was probably when he was in his prime in Tampa, but he's still a capable pitcher who, like you said, will will help, you know, strengthen the bullpen just by cutting some innings out of their workload overall. Yeah. All right, Scott Merkin, thank you very much for taking the time and giving us a bit of a perspective from that side of things. And, uh, yeah, say hi to James for us, and uh, we'll hopefully uh, both sides will have uh, something good to take from this trade down the road. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Scott Merkin from MLB.com, Chicago White Sox beat writer, uh, letting us know that side's uh, look at things. And uh, very interesting. We can break that down a little bit more when we come back. Before that, make sure to remember you can now enjoy America's favorite pastime with your pooch by your side in a new backyard-inspired setting at Petco Park. The Barkyard, presented by Petco, features six semi-private dog-friendly viewing areas in left center field. Each area accommodates up to four people and two dogs. Pricing starts at $100 for each viewing area. For more info and tickets, visit Padres.com Barkyard. When we come back, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about what we just heard and maybe if this is the first of many dominoes still to fall. Don't go far. This is Padres Social Hour.